Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast here on this new year, this new decade, Friday, January 3rd. And what a day, what a night it has been. You know, I was commenting to my colleagues here that yesterday was awfully quiet for the first workday of the new year. Usually it's when the news cycle breaks open after a week and a half of, of silence. But what ultimately happened was, I guess because it was you know late in the week, most people uh, were chilling out until Monday. Congress isn't back until Monday. It was awfully quiet. So I took the night to go to the range. And when I go to the range, I just I zoom everything out. I wanted two hours. I could fire a couple hundred rounds downrange. Uh, it's been a while since I've done that. Haven't gone really in a couple months. And I come back and I see the world changed. Qasem Soleimani, the Wicked Witch of the East, was killed. Um, look, before everything else, I know there's often a lot of negativity on this show. A lot of people accuse me of being the Grim Reaper uh, because we often don't sugarcoat the truth here. And we note how both parties are screwing us, but we also give a positive vision of what should be done. But at the same time, I feel the need to congratulate the president when he does something right, um, when something is done effectively. And just because this administration continues to do other things that kind of run hypocritical, run into headwinds of the strike against Soleimani. In other words, for example, they continue to prop up the Baghdadi government that is pro-Iran, although hopefully this is a harbinger for change in the administration. Pompeo is still funding the Lebanese armed forces, which is nothing but a proxy for Hezbollah. But it doesn't take away the fact that they did the right thing here. Now, there's a lot of false dichotomies going on. There's a lot of, oh, are you for intervention or against? I thought you were, Daniel, you just said yesterday, we are for getting out of Baghdad, you're for getting out of all this. Well, as we've noted so many times, it's not a matter of hawk versus dove, on or off. It's a matter of identifying what threatens us at a given time, what threatens us in the long run, and what are the proper tools to do the amalgamation of the right hard and soft forms of power, always juxtaposed to homeland security and immigration policy, which does tie into this in terms of Iran's ability to threaten us. And we're going to get to that hopefully a little bit later when we talk with our special guest, Colonel Dan Steiner. But before we bring on our guest, I just want to go over some of the political ideological aspects of this. We're always trying to develop on this, this program, what is a conservative foreign policy? And obviously, I ended off our first New Year's show yesterday talking about how it is stupid what we are doing in Iraq, okay? It is stupid to go and have your relatives and friends stick their heads three inches from a hornet's nest because that's just stupid to do. It's stupid in its own right, but also it, it undermines your ability to get rid of the hornet's nest from a position of strength. See, typically what you're going to do is you'll stand, you know, kind of behind a closed door a little bit. You squirt that raid or whatever, um, you know, poison that you that squirts out. Sometimes it comes in these bottles that squirt 20 feet away. 
I could kill the bees from a position of strength where they can't get me. I'm a lot stronger than them that I could kill them. But, you know, intermittently, some hornets might shoot out. And you don't want any collateral damage. You don't want anything you care about within three inches of that. That's what we've been doing with Iraq and Iran. I've noted many times what affects us and what doesn't affect us. The Sunnis don't affect us. They don't have a nation state. They don't have the Hezbollah sort of global network. The only way Sunni terrorists like ISIS could affect us is if we let them in the country. Now, we've let a lot of Sunni Muslims into this country that support that ideology. But again, once we make those mistakes... The best we can do is shut off new immigration from there, which we're not doing, but we should be doing. And you got to have the FBI and DHS deal with monitoring the threats that are already here. But that's not a military issue. Hence, I have been consistent for five years on this show at Conservative Review, all of our writings, that we should not have stuck our neck out, necks out collectively to fight ISIS on behalf of Iran and Hezbollah, which is what we did. We fought for these very Shiite militias we're now attacking. We're, we, we, we protected the very Baghdadi government that supports Iran. We shouldn't have done that. Iran was always the threat. It was the threat because they are closing shipping lanes, and that affects us. They're a threat because, unlike the Sunnis, they have a global network in our own... Um, our own network, our own hemisphere to harm us, okay? They're even working with the drug cartels. They're right here. And at the end of the day, there was a score to settle. They sacked our embassy in Tehran. No response. They killed, what, what was it, 260 Marines in Beirut. No response. They killed 19 airmen Kobar Towers in Saudi Arabia, 96, no response. They've, they killed about six 700 American soldiers in Iraq through the advanced IEDs that was directly done by Qasem Soleimani and the IRGC. No response. They've been upping the ante the last year with the piracy in the Persian Gulf. No response. And I forgot, in 2016, January 2016, they took our ship and we're all, you know, we all remember this uh, picture we're, we're going to put up on the screen here of our naval ship being captured and our soldiers surrendering, our sailors surrendering. That was a disgrace. That was an act of war and we did nothing. So finally, they sacked our embassy and attacked our base in Kirkuk and Trump responded and he responded appropriately. So I understand some on our side that internalize or eternalize a big part of our message that we need to do less in the Middle East in general and focus more on our border and more on immigration, more on homeland security. They're saying, look, well, Daniel, a lot of that was born out of stuff we shouldn't have done. The Iraq war was a mistake, so we shouldn't have been there. We shouldn't have had this. We shouldn't have the embassy there. Um, we shouldn't have been in Beirut. We shouldn't have been doing this. stuff. I get it. But two things. First of all, we need the shipping lanes. That, that is a problem, and that needs to be deterred. And number two, number two, once you are there and they attack you, here's the deal. Here is the deal. You can't 
You can't not respond to that. Like a lot of conservatives, I was appalled by our Somali operation in the early 90s. In fact, my father didn't vote Republican for the first time. In 92, um, he voted for Perot. One of the reasons was he was so ticked off at Bush Sr. for getting us involved in Somalia. But nonetheless, once the terrorists there, the Shabab-oriented terrorists there, those militiamen, dragged 18 of our soldiers throughout through the streets of Mogadishu, then we needed to respond. Now, responding doesn't mean we forever nation-building get involved in their civil war and, and are responsible for the water, streets, and electricity, and then bring in 150,000 Somalis like we wound up doing. No, it means killing their people and breaking their things and then leaving. That's what we need. Strike and maneuver to what directly threatens us, or if maybe it didn't originally threaten us and we shouldn't have been there, but you can't look weak in that sense, you do need to respond. Versus hold and build. So my support for what the president did is not, um, you know, walking back what I said earlier that we need to get out of there. It works in, in concert with it. Iran more than anyone affects us, but how do they affect us? In the Persian Gulf and through immigration. We need to deal with immigration. We need to shut off visas from Lebanon. I mean, everyone's worried. Oh, my gosh, Iran's going to respond. Do you know how they're going to respond? I hope not, but but if I were them, Hezbollah Unit 910, we spoke about them before. Um, we just indicted a guy in New Jersey a couple months ago. FBI arrested a guy. They have kinetic trained terrorists that we have led into this country through mass migration from Lebanon, not just Lebanese Christians. We've brought in a lot of Shiite Lebanese that have served as agents for them. That is the problem. But the Persian Gulf is a problem as well because we have to keep the ship, shipping lanes open. Killing the IRGC commander is exactly what we need to do. And at the same time, I think we need to get out of Iraq. I don't think we should have an embassy there. Why put something in a hornet's nest that we have to protect? Now, nonetheless, once it was done, we need to protect it. Now, I filibustered a little bit too much here. We have a guest on the line. But one more thing I just want to say real briefly. I'm seeing insane things about suddenly everyone caring about the Constitution, that the president requires an authorization of use of force before killing a guy like Soleimani. This is the absolute, absolute last scenario and worst case to apply that. What we did in Syria, that needed use of force. We never had a Syrian AUMF like we had with Iraq and Afghanistan. As much as I don't agree with Afghanistan now, there was a AUMF for that. Um, you know, even the killing of Baghdadi, I support that, but nobody criticized Trump for it. And, and I certainly agree with it, but notice no one criticized him because ISIS is like bad, but ISIS really doesn't affect us. I mean, that's the truth. They really don't. They're Iran's problem there. They don't have a nation state. They don't control shipping lanes. And that was in Syria where we really don't have a use of force. Suddenly now, when we've been in Iraq, whether you like it or not, and it's not just the AUMF from 2003, every year and just last month, there's something called the National Defense Authorization Act, where they authorize and fund training of the Iraqi military, our bases, our assets, our, our embassy, much to my chagrin. I don't think we should you know, have a blank check, and I think we need to debate what we're doing there. But nonetheless... They funded that. Congress funded it without any debate. 
So the president, if 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 Soleimani is attacking it and sacks our embassy, that's a defensive act. And certainly the fact that they're saying he was planning more attacks. So don't tell don't don't tell me, oh, you need a use of force. No, that was a defensive act, and that he has a right to do. Now, the broader long-term thing about what we're doing there, especially in light of the fact that ironically, the very government that we're there protecting is saying they're gonna expel us because we um killed Soleimani yeah I mean I think we need to debate what we're doing there but that's part of it now if I were a member of Congress I would be debating and saying I would have an authorization of use of force to the president to deter and respond and disrupt anything that um threatens commerce in the Persian Gulf that would essentially be my my use of force or any assets that we already have there but yes, I think in general, we need to immediately stop funding the Iraqi military. So don't lump me in with the neocons and say, oh, you're suddenly a neocon today being all happy about Soleimani being killed. That is divorced from the nation building. This is exactly the sort of strike and maneuver we can and should be doing. Now, we've gone through this from an ideological and political standpoint. But I want to bring on our favorite national security advisor here at the CR Podcast, Colonel Dan Steiner, to discuss the strategic implications of what is going on. Dan, as you guys well know, um, longtime guest here on the show, served for over 30 years in the United States Air Force, was in the Middle East for numerous years, worked at CENTCOM, has a very intimate understanding of the inner workings of several service branches in that theater what is going on militarily, what it means. Great strategic thinker. Colonel Dan, what a day to have you on, and thanks so much for making time for us. Hey, I, you know what, Dan? Uh, thank you for having this show, because I, I will tell you, last night, you know, and I were talking about what happened and, and why it happened and how it happened. Uh, you and I both know there are times when I'm not pro-Trump, there, there are some things he does that just kind of I, I, I tilt my head. I'm like you. I'm a realist. I'm, I tell the truth. Uh, I am for what's best for the nation. Having said all that, Trump knocked the ball out of the park last night. And I realize all the weak need progressive pacifist liberals, Teletubbies are waking up this morning and they're on TV last night talking about, oh, the sky's falling. We're going to go to war with Iran now. The Iranians are going to attack us. And Doom and gloom, it's all Trump's fault. You know, by midnight last night, it was all Trump's fault. The, the fact of the matter is, we killed a guy yesterday that should have died 10 years ago. We killed a guy, as some people have already said in the news, that has put a lot of American patriots in the ground. He, he's a butcher, and he's a madman, and he's dead, and, we, and Trump had the intestinal fortitude to kill him. So let's start by saying, hail to the commander-in-chief, you made the right move. Now, uh, I, I did want to, and you and I talked about this last night, I, I do want to talk to you about a little bit about this guy, because there's a lot of hysteria out there today, Dan, you've already seen it, to where people are saying that, well, Iran, quote, your big bucket name, Iran is going to be furious over us killing this guy. That's not true. I'll just put it to you that way. It's it, here's who it's true. You mean the Iranian for. people? 
Yeah. So the picture someone's trying, you know, the anti-Trump, never Trumpers are trying to paint this picture this morning of, oh, Trump's did it now. We're going to go to war with Iran. The people of Iran, Iran is furious. Well, Iran's not furious. The mullahs in Tehran may be upset. They're panicking, actually. Um, there may be part of the rank and file of the Iranian military that's upset. Quite frankly, almost 99% of the men that make up that organization were not even around for the Iranian-Iraq war, where this guy truly was became a hero for Iran. So this whole fallacy that we've we've killed this guy in the and Iran is going to be so furious about it, it's not true. Uh, let me make a different statement to you, Dan. Um, how about I tell you that there's a whole bunch of people, even in the Iranian military and the IRGC and in the Iranian mili regular military, that could care less this guy's gone. There's even some that are sitting there today saying, okay, finally, the favored son is gone. Now, who gets to be the next favored son? So we have created chaos inside the Iranian military leadership. If, if you know how their military works, like several militaries in the Middle East, it's all about prestige and power and face time and, like I say, the favored son complex. When you take this guy out who is already, in reality, part of a uh, envy of his superiors and his peers, you create a lot of chaos. The, the concept that they're all going to unify today, other than in front of the camera when they're told to be, or like that picture I sent you, like the besieged went out and had some sort of street demonstration. The reality is there's a large portion of Iran, the people of Iran, the Iranian military and its leaders that are either euphoric this guy is gone or they don't care or they see it as an opportunity. So this, this carte blanche picture you see painted of, oh, we're, we've done it now. We've kicked the hornet's nest. I think Joe Biden made some comment last night about throwing dynamite into a tinderbox or, or some ridiculous thing. Every time I hear stuff like that, it, it makes me realize how ignorant some of the people are who actually want to try and run this country. You, you are just a complete idiot if you think that statement by that guy is true or if you believe it. You're, you're ignorant of how the region works. So, so one of the things that you said that really stuck out to me um, throughout the few times we had you on in the build-up to this, and when I say the build-up, this has really been building up for a while, where this is about the seventh or so provocation Iran has done, meaning going after the embassy and the attack on our Kirkuk base was, you know, pretty much the seventh time over the last four or five, six months, and we really didn't do much. Um, and, and, and that was a problem. It was growing yes. and growing and growing. It's not like Trump could have let this go. That would have started a war because they knew they could disembowel us and nothing would happen. Whereas now, now what's happening is they know, see, they, they were going to screw with us anyway. It's not like, oh, well, now that he attacks Almighty, then then they're going to uh, they're going to go to war with us. No, they were doing that already. Um, now they know, yeah, like you said, yeah, but, but, but what's the difference? Are we going to play to their strengths or to our strengths? And Absolutely. it was amazing the way you put, put that out. Their strength is when we focus on the ground, when we focus on the people of Baghdad and try to win the hearts and minds of the people, 
they're going to beat us at that. <laughs> they're going to beat us any day at that. And that's what they did for since 2003. And we really need to pull away from that. And I hope we do. But strike and maneuver using our air or naval assets to just shoot off a, th a threat, you know, kill a threat. That is something they can't really rival us with. Isn't that true? So could you go through a little bit of the mechanics of what you think happened here just with the actual strike and how that speaks to our strengths and in the way we're, we're going to deter um, Iran in the future? Because everyone's talking about their, their response. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. we get a response too. You, you know, we, we talk, I wanted to start all this by talking about who this guy really was and how Iran really feels about this guy. Uh, so we, we got that accomplished. We'll move that aside. Let's talk about the tactical and strategic issues of what we did. Uh, make no doubt about it. The leadership inside the Pentagon is one of this guy dead for a long time. The problem is you can't get permission to kill him. You couldn't get permission from the last three presidents to kill him. There's been a rumor out there, and we won't say that much about it, but somebody almost got him in Syria a couple years ago, went after him, missed him, messed him up for a little while. He laid low, came back out. It, it amazes me that they, the CNN and everybody refers to this guy as the shadowy uh, general. He used to be. That's true. He hasn't been that way for several years now. He's been a rock star because he was trying to rally the troops in Syria not to fall. So this whole shadowy thing, again, shows you the ignorance of the people that are talking about him. But here's what I believe, and you and I talked about this last night. Here's what I believe happened. I believe that they sat down in their briefing with the president as the commander in chief, and they said, sir, here's what happened. Here's how this whole thing in Iraq took place. And in that conversation, it became very clear that, as everyone has known forever, the, the guiding force behind these type of operations is the Al-Quds force, which Soleimani commanded. He, he was the key figure behind orchestrating what took place in Iraq. They probably stacked on top of that the issue that it appears that we have other imminent effects about to happen. You and I have talked about that before. Since the tanker events of last year, they do something, we do nothing. They do something, we do nothing. And so they've gotten so emboldened with their actions that so of course now to keep poking the bear. And so when this briefing was completed, somebody probably made the comment to Trump about, okay, sir, you know, you can't have your another Benghazi. Something something made him say, I've had enough. Do we know where this guy Soleimani is? Yes, sir, we do, because they tracked that guy 24-7, 365 for years now. There has been a plan on the books on how to do him for a long time. What there wasn't was permission to do it. When Trump gave permission to go after this guy, it was a done deal. They were going to get him because his patterns of life, everything he was doing that made him predictable, he was so confident and arrogant and emboldened in his actions, especially in Iraq, flying in and out of there, riding around in, in convoys. Everything made him an easy target. What I like, and I hope I'm true on this, and you and I talked about this last night, I hope the way we went after him is part of the message. One, if we went after him with assets that were in theater that everybody in theater is used to seeing, you know, if, you, if you're if you out there and you see MQ-9 flying around, 
but you see them every day, and especially you've seen a couple more of them since the the embassy attack. Can you just attack. describe that in MQ9? Is that a drone? It's a Reaper. Yeah, it's a, it's a very very high tech drone. Um, it's a weapons platform. It's an incredible piece of hardware. Now, Dan, we go back to your comment. We have to fight from our strengths, not from our enemy's strengths. Our enemy is an asymmetric, nonlinear terrorist organization that hides in the public, and so we chased them in the streets. We didn't do this. We went after him with our strength. We took an asset that everybody in theater was probably used to seeing on a continuous basis, and lo and behold, we struck him from that asset. So an hour after that happened, the next time anybody in that area that's pro-Iranian militia or IRGCs, because they're there, when they see a helicopter, when they see a drone, hear a drone, they can hear a cat in an alley and they're going to flinch. And that's the psychological warfare of what we've done to them. We killed your top dog. So we've shown you that the president has changed his attitude. Now, when you hear that little noise outside, what is that? Will you get into a car and start it up? It's like when mafia chiefs used to go to war with each other. Who goes out and starts the car after a car blows up? Who in the world's going to fly into Baghdad's airport that's any type of operational leadership of Iran to work in Iraq after what happened yesterday? Nobody. They're in bunkers that are below the bunkers right now. So this was a brilliant move. And I think, I think this was Trump finally looking at the Pentagon, looking at the bureaucrats and saying, shut up. My warriors, take this guy out. Because at, you know, Dan, as well as I do, the argument was probably, oh, sir, if you do this, we're going to have that. Everything you heard on CNN and MSNBC yeah. last night. Oh, if you, if you do this, sir, this and that, endless wars, blah, 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 blah. And Trump looked at the military and said, killing, but I, that's it. And yeah. so the military got to do what they're designed to do. What they're designed to meaning this wasn't – see, most Americans I don't think are anti-war, meaning what they're anti is for 20 years having squadrons, you know, 10, 20, 30 soldiers precariously walking around on foot patrol you know, where everyone's a civilian, but really no one's a civilian and anyone could like pop out at you and blow you up with an IED at any moment to like aimlessly to no um, to no avail while we're supplying them with all sorts of goodies. No, we're going to make a perimeter around our interests. You could do what you want and we're going to zap you. And what I liked is, again, the president kind of said what I said. Not using this as a harbinger of more involvement. Quite the contrary, his next tweet that he put out, you know, the first it was the American flag. He didn't say anything this morning. He said something. And then now he just said, you know, we've spent billions of dollars, you know, playing around in Iraq. Well, what do you mean? You just got more involved. No, that's not being more involved. That's being involved in a smarter way, which is not really involved. And I because I think that was in response to the um, that, uh, the Iraqi parliament, you know, talking the thing. He's like, yeah, well, we, we spent all this money on you. Go screw yourself. If you want to be an Iranian proxy, it's fine. We're not going to help you <laughs> as Obama did. We literally helped the Iranian proxies and bailed them out from the Sunni insurgency. That's what I want to see in the future. And then I think, you know, Tucker Carlson, some of these critics from the right that are concerned he's becoming more too much like a neocon, hopefully they'll see that, no, this is a new game. Now, it's not to say that 
this administration isn't still schizophrenic and there's not aspects of it that still continue some of the stupid policies of the past in other theaters or in other respects in this theater. But I think you laid this out very well. Um, what I want you to move on to for our listeners is an aspect I don't hear anyone talking about, and that's Russia. What I find fascinating is everyone knows, you know, Russia's the big dog there. Everyone knows that Qasem Soleimani was Putin's guy every bit as much as he was the Mullah's guy. Um, yet this entire administration has been defined by the allegation that Trump is a puppet of Putin and the, um, there's, there's Russian collusion. And now the Democrats are criticizing him for this. But, dude, I mean, if you're a stooge of Putin to take out his top guy. Absolutely. So one of two things happened here, and we've talked about this one before. And I, I used to blog about it on my blog site. and I'll probably do it again. I got a lot of Russians that le read it, and it tickles me when they see me say this. The Russians have always been in one of two modes with everything they're doing in Syria, Iraq, Iran. They've been in one of two modes. What can you do, Iran, that benefits Moscow? How do I leverage the mullahs in Iran for the good of Moscow? So they've got a choice with so many. They've had it since day one. He's the guy that's been in their pocket. He's the guy that made all the trips to Moscow. Dan, I'll tell you. All this talk about everybody's so upset about this guy dying, I guarantee you, if you get behind the closed doors in Tehran, you'll find out, and I think you and I talked about this last year, you would find out that some of those mullahs, some of those imams, some of those power brokers in Tehran, they were actually worried about Soleimani. They may not have said it publicly, but this is the guy that kept going to Moscow. And they don't trust Moscow and Tehran. If you think they trust Moscow and Tehran, you're, people are just lost if they believe that. He kept going. He kept speaking with them. He'd come back and he'd tell his bosses, his boss, Khomeini, hey, this is what we talked about. But there were people around him that didn't trust that, especially other military commanders. And so there was a level of trust about this guy because of his relationship with the Russians that made Tehran uneasy. I guarantee you that's true. So Putin sat there and he said, at some point in time, I'm either going to inject this guy as the leader because he works for me. If I, if, if I have to get rid of the mullahs because it's the only way I can avoid a war between the Israelis and the Iranians is to get rid of the mullahs, the Iranian people will do it. They'll march on Tehran. Then I'll stick this guy in charge. If there was some Russian plan for the afterlife of Iran, he was part of it. At the same note, he's expendable. He's like anything else the Russians touch. If we didn't tell the Russians yesterday that we're going to take this guy out, which I, I know we did not, then the message was to Moscow, too. Hey, I realize you think you're running the whole show over there. I, I realize I'm second fiddle to you now in your eyes. But watch this. I'm going to take out your boy. And what are you going to say about it? What are you going to do about it? If if Obama would have taken out Soleimani uh, and praise and fireworks and parades and everything oh, yeah. else in D.C. Absolutely. But what we did yesterday is we whacked Moscow's number one boy in country. And we didn't tell the Russians about it. And if we did tell the Russians about it, then what do you think the Iranian leadership thinks? They think what they've thought all this time. The Russians don't give a hoot about us. They let our number one thug, our Luca Brazzi, get whacked. 
and they knew it. So in Tehran, again, Trump has created this distrust, this paranoia, this one assassination attack brilliantly executed by the Pentagon has led to unknown consequences of crisis inside of Iran. This isn't about, oh my gosh, is Iran gonna attack us now? This is how destabilized have we actually made the Iranian government. And that's the brilliance of what Trump did with this attack. And it's an attack that three other presidents wouldn't do. It's a great move, Dan. It's just all around a great move. No doubt. Um, You know, you look at holistically in the Middle East, you look at the picture holistically. And again, as I noted in my intro today, generally speaking, we have gotten involved in too many things that don't affect us. Um, But then on the other hand, I think there's people on our side a little bit on the left. I mean, you know, it breaks down in a funny way when it comes to foreign policy that are like, well, you know, if we just mind our own business, everything will be fine. In other words, um, from the rightest standpoint, it would be if we just have border security, shut off visas from the Middle East, which I push for more than anyone else around in the entire country. And I've written more articles about that than anyone else. No one could accuse me of not being aggressive enough on that. Um, You know, we'll be fine. And then conversely, the left or the libertarians will tell you, as long as we have open borders and invite everyone <laughs> and don't go to war there, we'll be fine. And, and I think there's a merit to certain things. So in other words, if there's a guy in Nigeria or Chad or one of these places dancing around with one of his militias, death to America, you know, whatever. But Iran, because of the tools of statecraft, the Hezbollah global network, they did affect us. They have affected us. Um, and we need to we need to deal with that. Um, and 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 that was always my contention here, and yeah, that is yeah. why we do have a vested interest in getting rid of the mullahs. But here's the question that a lot that gets that get, gets a little touchy: Where do we go from here? Um, a lot of I, I, I think you got to be stupid not to want the mullahs gone. Okay, this is not Gaddafi, where or, or even Assad, a bad dude, but it's like the best option there. This is the the government that has screwed with us more than anyone else for 40 years. It's the government that is the longest strategic long long term strategic threat to us. And it's um, and unlike the other countries, Iran is Persian. It's not Arab. It's Mm. not in Iraq. So, for example, where I do disagree with the neocons 100 percent is they're talking about these protesters in, you know, in, in Lebanon and in Baghdad against the Iranian hegemony, as if like we could join with them and aid them and get involved with them to somehow, you know, throw off the Iranians. Again, I mean, in Iraq, you're going to have the problem with the Sunnis. You're going to have the same problems. You're you're always going to have that. Yeah, we but, fought that with the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Yeah, it's the same thing, Afghanistan. But what about Iran? Um, would if you were advising the president? Do you think we should push for the to use soft power to pour fire or lighter fluid on these protests in Iran itself um, to get rid of the mullahs, or is it a problem of what's next? Are we going to own some sort of a dumpster fire? 
How do we do that without repeating the mistakes of the past? That's going to be the question. I think a lot of our side that doesn't like Iran understands the problem, but also understands that we everything we've touched in the Middle East has broken the last 20 years. What would what comes next? You know, one of the things that worries me and, and bothers me about the whole neocon movement is that there always seems to be this sense of arrogance that whatever we do uh, is the only influencing environment for for an event. If, if you're a neocon and you're sitting there saying, OK, look, uh, with the fall of Soleimani, the government in Tehran is in turmoil. Now's the time to get the NGOs out and start, you know, formulating a plan to have another Green Party event of 2009. It, it, the danger with that kind of think is the fact that you have to anticipate if Iran's enemies, other than us, the Saudis, the Israelis, but right now, especially the Saudis, You've got a future king in Saudi Arabia that absolutely despises the mullahs. I mean, there's no doubt about it. To think that we can do something and that no one else will touch it, screw with it, or mess it up to where we can go in there and get the, the population to march on Tehran, that, that, that neocon think to me is just, it, it's myopic. And, and it's why we always screw this up. We don't need to do anything in Iran. We did what we needed to do. We took out a guy that was killing U.S. citizens and U.S. military members. We finally did what we should have done years ago. Now, we've cracked the glass for stability and paranoia in Tehran. The number one issue in Tehran today is paranoia. It's paranoia over, did the Russians know about it and why didn't they warn us? It's paranoia over, how is it that this mission took place? and we didn't know about it. It's paranoia over the infighting that will take place inside the, the Iranian military. It is extreme paranoia over, will the people, the youth of Iran now march on Tehran because they think the, the Lou Cabrazzi of the mullahs is dead and the military is disorganized. It's, so the grass, if the glass is cracked, it's not our job to fix it. And it's not our job to make sure the glass falls. Our job is to defend this nation. That's the Pentagon's job. That's the United States military's job. What you can't do now is allow the State Department mentality to come running back in and saying, okay, let's grab NGOs A, B, and C, and let's do democracy building now in Iran. That's not our job. And that's where the neocons are wrong. Our job is to defend this nation. That's our number one priority. And we did that. And so whatever happens in Iran now, so what? If it begins to threaten us again, we move again. And that picture becomes perfectly clear to the rest of our enemies. Dan, there's a story about the Iranian event from yesterday that no one's talking about, and you and I need to talk about this. This entire event was watched in Beijing. We can sit there and talk about the Iranian bumblebees that are flying around, but there's a dragon on the other side of the world that has a plan for the whole world. Yep. And they're marching down the road with that plan. Now, they watched this take place. And the one thing they noticed first was, one, how did it damage the relationship between the U.S. and the Russians? Or did the Russians know? Two, look at how 
disunified D.C. continues to be. You know, the Chinese sat back last night and they watched CNN, they watched MSNBC, and they watched the immediate left come and attack Trump. There's no unity over this. There's no people driving up and down the street waving the American flag. It's yeah. automatically pre-programmed. It's a party issue. It's a philosophy issue. It's very to sad. The to the Chinese, that is the indicator of Soleimani's assassination is further evidence that the U.S.'s unification is deteriorating. And so, I, let me just say, as you're talking, you'd be shocked how how bad this 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 runs. Okay, so on a friend of mine from Texas just sent me a text as we're talking here, and to underscore your point, this is in Texas. Okay, it's not even like California. Um, basically, the Harris County Sheriff. Okay. The Harris County, that's Houston. Um, Harris County Sheriff Ed, whatever his name is. Um, Ed Gonzalez, okay? So, he liked, you know, on Twitter you could retweet or like, he liked Zarif's tweet, the Iranian official government response that the U.S. acted in, a, you know, in a, with terrorism targeting and assassinating General Soleimani, um, uh, it's extremely dangerous and foolish. The U.S. bears responsibility for all the consequences of its rogue adventurism. That was liked by a, a Texas sheriff, and uh, just a friend of mine said that to me because um, a uh, a reporter for the Texan um just tweeted out that they reached out for comment, like, "Hey, like, what's your deal?" But I, I just I sorry to interrupt there, but I just want to show for our audience how a Texas sheriff a democrat city in texas but a houston sheriff basically you know harris county is liking it's not like hey i disagree strategically with some of the things trump did or like you know he's liking the a tweet from the iranian government <laughs> i mean <laughs> you can't get more divided than that uh, I, I i tell you there are people that just feel compelled to talk about things they see an event on the news and it's like most politicians, their staffers say, hey, sir, you got to get out there. You got to make a comment. You got to tweet something out. So everybody likes to run to the microphones and run to the podiums. I, when I was talking to you last night on the phone, I was actually I was watching MSNBC because I wanted to see how, how long does it take? OK, the guy's been his body's still warm. Can we start blaming Trump yet? Can we say that Trump's a madman? He's out of control. He's insane. Blah, blah. And it all started. And then it dawned on me, I was talking to a very good friend while I was talking to you, I was texting him and Cutter, and he said, just imagine the viewpoint from right now. The Beijing's just sitting there watching us going, okay, these guys do what's right for their self-defense, and their own political system just and their media just openly attacks their commander-in-chief for doing it. And that's something they take notes. They 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 go back and they change parts of their psychological warfare. I mean, the whole Chinese doctrine of unrestricted warfare that you and I have talked about before. Yesterday wasn't just about Iran. Yesterday is about our other enemies, our yeah. true enemies, and, and we need to not lose sight of that. Um, and, and I think that that's a good segue, Dan, for me to tell you, I, I wanted to come on here today and tell you, everybody's talking about what the Iranians are going to do. They're going to do this. They're going to attack. It's going to be fierce. It's going to be dramatic. 
okay, here's what really matters. We can tell when they're doing something. If they're posturing their military in a kinetic fashion, we can tell. We know the minute any Iranian military assets moving anywhere, we know that. That will get to the president. He will be briefed if it actually looks yeah. like the Iranians are posturing themselves. If they're not going to posture themselves, if they're going to go to a proxy to Which go to Which is probably something. what they would do, one of the Iraqi militias, yeah. Y yeah, if they take the action on Iraq. Let me tell you right now, um, it was interesting to me that within 24 hours of this event taking place, Netanyahu went to the Israeli government, like I was talking about, and said, hey, we need to postpone this whole legal case about me. Now's not the right time. And I thought, well, that's a crazy way to say that, because I, I imagine they're just going to slap him in the face and say no and keep going. Boom, they said yes, which means he put something on the table in front of them and said, I'm telling you, this isn't the right time to do this. So that so you tells think he me had Trump, a heads up? I think Trump let Netanyahu know, hey, I'm ready. I put extra forces in the field to take this guy out. We, we launched some QRFs within 48 hours of that embassy attack that were disproportional to taking care of the embassy. That was the posture to get ready to take this guy down. Dan, do you think that you brought Israel into it? Um, now you just remind me of this aspect of it. Do you think that Netanyahu is going to go after Nasrallah? I mean, the full Hezbollah head in Lebanon? You know, there's an argument right now, probably. If you, if you go after him, does Hezbollah go to war with you? Do you want to go to war? But you just took out something that's far more important than, than Nasrallah. And so in Tehran or in Nasrallah, I told you last night, when, when Nasrallah got word that Soleimani had been killed, he got in the bunker that's underneath the bunker that he typically hides in. He had to have. In, in other words, I mean, Nasrallah is basically like the Al Sharpton, and Soleimani was the Soros. I mean, he was, he was what mattered. You know, Nasrallah is just a bloviating fat boy. I mean, it's just, you know, he just yeah. says the yeah. Islamic verses and whatever. Um, but it was all it, run out of the IRGC. I, I don't believe that Tehran can use Hezbollah in an open kinetic, because right now Hezbollah truly is a kinetic fighting force. They have transitioned from, you know, just little idiots running around with AK-47s on the streets of, of Beirut. They, they are a kinetic fighting force. They train like one. They march like one. They dress like one. If you look like a duck and quack like a duck, you must be a duck. So using Hezbollah is probably not the right thing to do. Let's come full circle and think asymmetrically on this. If Iran wants to make a statement in order to prove to its military leadership that this will not go unpunished, if they've reached that point, which I'm not convinced they are, I'm not convinced they're prepared to do anything about this. But it's very easy to reach out to someone that has no direct ties to you. You want a Tom Clancy version of what could happen? Imagine a phone call that comes out from a third source, party source, related to the mullahs, and someone gets a phone call and they say, hey, look, here is a Swiss bank account that you have access to. What we want you to do is we want you to conduct maximum damage against the U.S. to your greatest extent possible, and when you've done that, that account will have this amount of money put into it. Sounds like South America back in the 80s a little bit, back in the early late 80s, early 90s. If you want to really get paranoid, you have to start thinking about a statement the Iranians made, and you know this one, yep. last year, 
we are closer to you than we think, than you think. When the Iranians who who said, made that statement, by the way, you, talking to us in the United States, then exactly. It was it was Soleimani himself um, for our listeners. Correct. It was he himself was the one who made that. And that's why I started off the show with Hezbollah Unit 910. If I were the Iranians, especially when you talk about bringing the fight to us, striking the fear, they know America, most Americans really don't care about Iraq. Um, and contrary to what the media is saying, there's really not much they can do. If anything, had Trump not responded, they would have done more because they knew they could get away with it. Now they're scared. That is really where they could um, harm us, and that does get back to immigration, which, which unfortunately, no one's talking about. Um, you know, I have called on Trump to shut off visas from Lebanon. I mean, Lebanon—that—that that is really, you know, that is where they're going to get us. Um, and unfortunately, it's already. I mean, even if we did, I mean, which we should, but it's—it's it's already in this country. Well, we—that's what I did. wonder if they're going to call because I don't want to get into too much what I've heard you know, classified information, but let's just say these people are much more serious than any Sunni terrorist that's in our country. Oh, they, 910? Oh, yeah. Unit 910, yeah. I mean, oh, yes. the FBI and every major FBI field office has a Unit 910 um, division or, or um, office that deals with that. They have, in various places, they have weapons caches that are designed to turn on and i always wondered when they would turn on that switch you know and, and we have to hope and pray that it doesn't happen because that really is our, our vulnerability they cannot defeat us militarily they could defeat us when we commit immigration suicide which we've already done um that's really what concerns me and again that has nothing to do with what we do in the middle east i would not want to be in a ramco facility in saudi arabia um I would not want to see the reaction that the Saudis will have this time around if Iran does choose oil as its response to what we did. You know, it, it's pretty easy for them to spike oil for a short period of time. It's also kind of a saving grace mover, which they need right now. They they probably they need a saving grace although, mover to calm down then, the senior Colonel, leadership of the military. Even then, their options are limited. It, the market's not like what it used to be. I mean, remember no. a couple of months ago, everyone no. was talking about that. It, it fell flat, and and, yeah, and oil I mean, prices did not go tankers up. And gas is cheaper now than it was before the tankers were attacked. Uh, but but Saudi Arabia is a softer target. Our our forces in theater. You're insane to try and touch them right now. They're ready. I mean, if it, like I told yeah. you last night, if you drive by a U.S. facility checkpoint right now and you spook somebody, you're going to get lit up. I mean, that's just all there is to it. The the, the bad guys know to get away. Uh, they, they understand that. It's those other little hanging fruit guys out there across the world that worry me. I, I, I'll give you what I worry about. I know there's a relationship between Hezbollah and the drug cartels. I, I worked that relationship officially at one point in my life. These cartels are so emboldened now. They're so wacky compared to just two or three years ago. I mean, they're doing things now that I've never really contemplated they could do. How bad is it for some third-party member to call those guys and say, you want to make a lot of cash? Here's what I, I I want you to cross that river and do something really yeah. stupid, then I'll take credit for it. And I'll prove to the American people that 
you don't know where we are. We are closer to you than you think. Exactly. And so you get these guys who we seem to be totally ignoring, who are armed to the teeth, that have great tactics, that are within – they can sit across a river and, and lay waste to uh, I mean, you and I are on text chains with our friend Jason Jones. You know, we were talking about just, you know, in Tamaulipas, literally um, the local county governments in Texas are warning not to go there. They're hearing the gunfire every day. They're right there. And and we still, as good as our military is, like you just talked about lighting people up who get around our bases, our border is not like that. Oh, no, because we, we, view, we don't view them as belligerents, and that's part of the problem. So we let them kind of come in. And again, the two are not mutually exclusive. I agree with Tucker and, you know, people that support America first approach that it needs to be mainly about our border. And that's what we're bringing is back full full circle, the border, the visas, Homeland Security. But again, it's not mutually exclusive with doing strike and maneuver appropriately where people threaten us abroad as well. The two work together um, as long as we don't get sucked in further to the Iraqi military and the Afghani military. No, no, no. You know, that's what needs to end. But but the funny thing is all these people bellyaching about Trump, they un- nearly unanimously passed an NDAA just a couple of weeks ago, right before the Christmas break from Congress. It sends money to all these people. They're giving money to all these people. So like, oh, where's the president's authorization? Well, he's I mean, he's defending the assets that you guys keep funding you know, so the authorization, people talk about the 2003 and 2001 AUMFs, but they forget that every subsequent year there's been an NDAA codifying whether Congress initiated it or not and whether the president did things unilaterally over the years. They codified that already. And I disagree. I think we need to be debating more what we're doing in these NDAAs rather than blank checking and then putting other garbage like 4,000 more Afghani immigrants in and and jailbreak provisions and stupid domestic, uh, you know, more entitlement programs for government workers, but whatever. But I was the one who complained about that. These guys voted for it. Every one of them, almost every Democrat voted for it um, in the Senate. So, you know, Chris Murphy from Connecticut, give me a break. He voted. He's saying the president, what he did was unconstitutional. He voted for that NDAA Um, that funds the, the embassy in Baghdad. It funds the Iraqi military, funds all that stuff. So yeah, we're there. I don't think we really should be doing that. Um, but but certainly, if you believe we should, then then he was justified. Um, look, I think we're almost out of time here. I, I, I really appreciate you bringing this full circle. Just closing remarks, what would your advice be to the president on the next step? You always got to think a step ahead. What is that step? Well, it's a great point. Um the, the talk of the town today is, is that the Iranians, quote, this, this holistic definition of Iranians are angry and they're going to strike out at us. Uh, part of that statement is true. They, they probably will strike out at us somehow, but it's not based upon anger. I think the thing we need to come to terms with is that instead of being angry, Tehran is desperate. They're in a state of panic. We we did something yesterday that shattered their glass. And so what if you're a hunter, what's what's more dangerous? The animal that sees you or the animal you've shot and wounded? If we have wounded the mullah's philosophy towards their ability to survive as a government in Iran, 
How desperate are they? Then the trick becomes what part of their military will follow them if they make a drastically stupid decision like warfare. I talked to you last year about the rank and file of the Iranian military is no fan of Tehran. When most of their family sat in floodwaters last year and the government did nothing, that had ramifications. A general without troops is somebody dressed up like a Hollywood actor. I mean, it's, it's yep. George Clooney playing a special forces colonel or whatever. We have to be cognizant of the fact that we didn't anger Iran yesterday. We severely damaged them. Now, the best thing to do is you don't need to do anything else. If someone in the State Department today says, well, sir, we have to do this and we have to do that. No, we don't. We do nothing. And the message is we say nothing and we do nothing. Be if more like Russia and China. <laughs> if you do something, let your military commanders realize, hey, if you all in Tehran make a decision to do something about this, me and my people, we're going to pay the price for this. If they are destabilized by this, which I believe they are, they are destabilized yeah. by this. They are paranoid that Russia betrayed them again to the maximum degree. They're paranoid that Trump has decided to fight them in a way we should fight, not the way that the corporations want to fight, a nation state building. Then the president needs to do nothing right now. He lets them sit there and say, it's your move. You know, like I told you last night, Trump has basically said, I just whacked your number one guy. If you don't like it, let's step outside and you can do something about it. There's a decision to be made in Tehran. How far do you push this? Because if you poke that bear too much, it looks like it's not going to go your way. You're not going to get the our ground forces against your ground forces. We're not going to search and clear Fallujah. We're going to hit you in ways you cannot deal with. Yep. No, and that's exactly what needs to happen. And, and like you mentioned, with their um, disquiet and unrest at home, that's a big thing. A lot of people would have said, you're going to have the Arab street. You know, well, the Arab street has kind of died. I mean, it's gone are the days of this, like with, um, what's his name? Nasser in Egypt in the six day war, where you had that guy standing up in front of like 2 million Egyptians marching around. I mean, no one gives a damn. They said the same thing about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. It fell flat. Like, you know, it, Correct. It, the, the whole thing. And, and I think that's the lesson. And it's a lesson on domestic policy too. The bullies, the bullies of the political elite say, you, oh, you can't, uh, you can't shut down the border. You can't do change immigration. You can't change health care. You can't change the foreign policy. Who says? And, but, but that's how they threaten us. And if you just go and do it and you're resolute about it, you actually change the cascading effects itself. And, you know, what might have been true before is no longer true because you put yourself in a better position um, again, striking from a position of strength, playing yeah. to our strengths, not our enemy's strengths. We are out of time. Colonel Dan, thanks for joining us. We're going to have you on regularly to brief us as this goes on. We are out of time. Full hour show today. Um, next week will be our first full week of the year. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns to dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Subscribe to our videos at CR's YouTube page. Look at our articles, columns every day at conservativereview.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Um, send this episode and every other to 50 of your friends, neighbors, relatives, and anyone you know that believes in common sense. Have a great weekend. Till next time, God bless you all.